0: Or fundamentals of the Dhamma it's a topic that I have talked about a few times already in some places they're very clever they made the topics into three part series so then I have to talk a lot more but today it's a one-hour series one hour episode like television TV program And therefore, it will be a summarized version. How many of you here have actually attended my previous talk on this topic? Nice. New audience. Ah, okay. (laughs) New audience or shy audience. Okay. For many, new to the Dhamma, Sometimes when they pick up a books, uh, a book, they say, "So complex, so many issues to cover, difficult to follow, so many different interpretations, so on and so forth." And that's what happens when you look at too many books. You get confused. You get you get a bit daunted, overwhelmed by sure ideas and Concepts. This is not what we are going to do today. Today, we are going to cut to the chase and get to the point. Meaning to say, if you are not an intellectual, if you are not into thick, voluminous books, meaning you are like the rest of us, Singaporeans, then what should be your take away on buddhism what's the essence and if you know this you know what the buddha taught. the rest is bonus so that's what we're going to do today okay get to the point stem down the essential everything else we call them appendix So what is the essential of Buddhism? I'm going to tell you a story, and the way I'm going to talk about this topic, it's going to be a little different from, if you've heard of it from others, it's going to be a bit different. My story doesn't start with the formal Noble Truth and Eightfold Path. That's the essence, but it's the middle part. The intro part is not this. Now, we all know that the Buddha spent a long time trying to understand the nature of the mind and to find happiness. If you were ever asked, what was it that the Buddha was looking for? And if your answer was, oh, he's looking for truth, then salah. Eh. Buddha was a very practical man. Buddha left his family in search of one thing. Happiness. He wanted to understand what brings happiness. In Pali he calls it dukkha and you go, "Eh, hey, but dukkha not happiness, eh? Dukkha suffering." <laughs> The exact word he used was, or were, I look for one thing. I teach one thing and one thing only dukkha and the way out. The way out. Must remember that part. He wasn't looking for suffering, he's looking for the way out of suffering. And if you're looking for the way out of suffering, then therefore you're looking for happiness. So that was essentially the essence of the Buddha's quest. When he turned around and started teaching, it was because he had found the answer to what brings happiness. The essence of the Dhamma is about how to make oneself have a happy life. How do you deal with the stresses of life and be happy? How not to bring more unhappiness to the world around you? Okay? Now, so, we know what was the Buddha's quest. But the next thing we ask is, how does the whole Dhamma begin? The first thing he said was, or one of the first things he said was, the way we understand the world, the lay person, the, 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 the many people, the world, the world sees the world, the way we see it is tapake. Buddha didn't use the word tapake. Meaning to say, we have a deluded conception of the world. That's why in Buddhism, constantly, if you look at books, you keep seeing this phrase, seeing the world as it really is. Have you seen that? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what does that mean? Ah? When we see the world, okay, what does it mean when we say the world? When the Buddha used the word the world, Loka, L-O-K-A, he didn't refer to your chair, your table, the walls around you, and so on. He refers to your mind. How your mind sees the world. It's what's happening in your mind. In all of us, think about it. In all of us, in our world, What is in our world? That world is unique to you, right? I don't know what's in your mind. You don't know what's in my mind. So you don't know what's in my world and I don't know what's in your world. But we all have our own universe in here. And how do you come by this world? Through the interactions of your sense bases and the mind. Right? How you see the world? by Through your eyes. How do you hear sound? Through your ears. How do you experience taste? If you have a workable tongue. Right? And so your world, the world that you have, would depend on your sense basis and your mind. Agree? Who disagree this is a good class we have consensus in the class now and the buddha tells you your world your your perception of the world is fraud it's flawed and fraud salah then he came up with this idea of Tilakana. You must have heard of this if you read a lot. Tilakana. Now let me explain what it means. If you think about it, right? Every moment in your mind, every moment in your mind is a new moment. Agree? Who disagree? Who has been having that moment since childbirth? Every moment, every second is a new moment in the mind. Agree? Then you will say, Yawa, so logical, right? Agree? Logical? You experience it, you tell me. Is every moment new? Yes, impermanent. So when the Buddha used the word anicjata, impermanent, it means that moment in your mind. He was not referring to the changes that you cannot see happening to the chair. He was referring to your mental experience, your physical experience, what you pay attention to. Every moment is impermanent. The second one, by the way, uh, the Tilakana, the three parts were impermanent, dukkha, anatta. I will explain the words anicca, impermanent. Then the second one he said is dukkha, right? How does it work? A lot of us work or tr- do things in the hope that tomorrow is better. Agree? Noble silence shouldn't be practiced now. <laughs> Practice noble silence later. Now interaction. Do you agree? No, that you ask about yourself. Think in your own mind. When you strive for something, when you're trying to do, achieve something, it's because you're trying to make the next moment better. Agree? How many of you were trying to make now better? Even when trying is tomorrow. Even when you are trying, right? It is about the next moment. Trying to make it better. Which means to say that you are saying that right now isn't good enough, right? Would you say right now, at this very moment, as you are sitting down there listening to Dharma talk, you think this moment is perfect. (laughs) you don't you see next moment when I'm marking my best my favorite dish is perfect but when the next moment come my dish is not perfect how come ah? every moment you experience you are experiencing in anticipation that the next moment is better so therefore that precise moment when you're experiencing it is not the best it's not sukkah it's not perfect it's therefore not shook enough. Really? Not shook enough, Dukkha. Lo. When the Buddha used Dukkha, he didn't mean suffering. That's the problem with translation. Therefore, to afterwards, all of you can join me in my my, my college, sign up for Pali. When, the, when he used the word Dukkha, he didn't mean you suffer. He didn't mean that. But because of translation, we all decided that Buddhism is a really pessimistic teaching. Dukkha arises, noble truth of suffering. No, he merely is stating a fact. He was stating an observation that in every moment that we live, we live in anticipation that the next is better. So we're never satisfied with this moment. You agree or not? You agree, right? So Buddha, right, right spot on ah huh? he was actually just making an observation about the nature of the mind you every moment is a new moment in every moment you're not satisfied you're waiting for the next one to be better so at the moment when you're expecting the next one to be better how sure can it be not sure enough ma sure already we got better next now agree okay what's the third one another the hardest to explain i'm going to put it Simply don't ask too many questions yet. Anatta means that nothing drives those moments. The moment happens, happens. The moment in your mind, every every experience. Every experience happens. Conditional upon the previous thought. Thought upon thought upon thought. There is no soul driving the thoughts. That's all he means. Meaning to say, think of yourself like a computer. Every morning you turn on power on. If you have sufficient juice, it's a good day because your system will work faster today. And then every moment just happens by itself in here. It's a computer. There is no ghost driver in there determining what you should experience each moment. The moment just happens. The experience in here. Okay? I don't expect you to say agree. Just say okay. So these are the three factual, objective observations that he made about the mind anicca dukkha anatta the three very objective observation about the nature of your mind my mind our minds that's the way it is he says if you ask what is the truth as it really is it's if it's when you understand these three objective facts about your mind. Once you have understood this part, comes the four noble truth and the eightfold path. Because this is the nature of your mind, what should we do about it? That's the question. Remember he said, I am searching for an answer to why my mind feels stressed, feels dukkha." So the solution that has to be a solution and when he found that solution that that is when his job was done so the four noble truth and the eightfold path was his solution you have a mind that is like that you have a brain that's like that so your mind functions in this way moment to moment always not satisfied driven by its own cravings and all nothing you can do about it huh? If we end with the answer, yeah, Lord, nothing we can do about it, then full stop. 70 years old, expiry date, gone. <laughs> but it's not. The Buddha found a way out. So, let's go through the way out. He said, first noble truth, he starts, the starting premise, what is the problem? Right? Starting premise is always, what's the problem? What's the issue? And he says, okay, we all in our day-to-day living, experience many moments of dissatisfaction? Agree or disagree? Better answer, otherwise it must raise hands. (laughs) Okay, day-to-day, we have many moments of the the following. If you are a really kind, patient, easy-going man or woman, you are likely to experience your day like this. Neutral, neutral, maybe a little bit annoyed, but neutral, neutral. Okay, i not so neutral. A little bit annoyed and then neutral, neutral. Oh, happy, neutral, neutral. Usually like that. Most of us not like that, ma. Most of us, it's a year, a year, a year. alama a year, a year. Yeah. Most of us like that, right? A year, the food comes cute. A year, the like that. I don't know why you put the, the food like this. I have my tree like that a lot of things to say ah yeah tissue paper again on the chair a lot of us like that right the whole day is full of dissatisfaction why are my hair grow white also must go yeah you know the fella did it like that also must grumble whole day imagine the stress we put through and you may say no i'm not like that hey hello tomorrow take a notebook and note Every moment of this, sometimes you don't say it out, it's all in here. The IO, IO, all inside here, it didn't come out on your face. It's a flat poker face, serene on your face, but inside there, oh, a lot of cry, mother, cry, father, inside there, right? Okay, nature of the mind. So he said. In the nature of life, there are many moments when we have dissatisfaction. Dukkha Arya Satcha actually means that. The noble truth of Dukkha. First, you talk about the nature of the, the, the birth, the death, the, the, the feeling sick, growing old, that sort of thing. huh? That's, that's your body changing. And naturally, when the body changes, the mind reacts in a way for many of us we react negatively then the other half deals with the mind emotional when you're with somebody you don't like or when you are away from somebody you love it's dukkha. think about it i put you next to the person you can't stand only for the duration of the dhamma talk you decide this dhamma talk not fun Notwithstanding how entertaining I can be. You will still say, this, enter- this stomach not fun. Why is it sit with stomach- me? <laughs> or if your beloved is going away, also you feeling very sad. Haven't gone yet, already sad. And you will be sad until he finally makes his way back. But the best part was the last bit when he said, when the Buddha said, in short... Panchakanda, the five aggregates of craving, is dukkha. Meaning to say, your sense bases, remember I said the way you experience the world is through your sense bases, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your taste, and all. All your sense bases have. you will crave with the sense bases in short the five aggregates of craving is dukkha your sense basis through your sense basis you crave and that is why it's dukkha when you see something you like it doesn't stop there you will say i like i want when you hear a piece of music you like you will also say, I want. I want to hear again and again and again. Or when you taste something you like, you will say, I want. How many of you would actually say, I don't want? You like that? You like. You might. Because you're practicing, ma. You say, I'm practicing, I'm practicing yogi. I will watch my mind. I will not crave for the meat. You said i'll be a vegetarian three days later you're very skinny vegetarian but food has no meaning for you that's craving there's nothing wrong or right about the thing it's just the nature of us we will crave it's normal so then the buddha says dukkha you have all this sensation of dissatisfaction because you won and you won and you won. so any preferences that you have As long as you have a preference, there will be that measure of dissatisfaction. Think, now look at your own life. Is there something that you want badly? Think of it, something that you really want. Don't have to tell me, there's just too many voices. Something that you really want, and then think about how it makes you feel when you don't get it. you surely won't feel too good about it, right? And then if it is something that you want, to but okay, if that's a kind of mindset, then I say let it go, and you say okay, does it feel terrible? Do you feel bad about it? You won't. Like, Never mind, it's okay. And you let it go. So, if you want something badly, the more badly you want it, The more uncomfortable, the more dukkha, the more dissatisfaction you will feel. That's the nature of our mind. That's what the Buddha is saying. That's the nature of our mind. The more you want it, the more uncomfortable, the more unhappy you will be when you don't have it. And you know what's the punchline? The sad punchline. You get it. You are esthetic. For a while. Then, next next one, <laughs> half the fun is in the chasing. Right? Half, you will think that half the fun is in the chasing. That's how your mind tricks you, you know. The mind will give you your sensation of thrill, of the chase. And you don't pay much attention to the experience of the disappointment and the stress that comes with that chase you don't feel you may feel it but you don't realize it because you are still very intoxicated with the trail of the chase then there you have it ready that's it huh? like that then you fed up next you go so according to the Dhamma, according to the Buddha's teaching, essentially what he's saying is, in your day-to-day life, there will be many moments when you will experience dissatisfaction and unhappiness and stress and so on. In all those moments when you're experiencing this dissatisfaction and unhappiness, it's because there is a niggling, wanting underpinning that thought. That one thing, one thing, I want, I want, I want. It's like a three-year-old kid I want, I want, inside here. And as long as you have this niggling wanting, you will never be truly happy. Moment to moment. That's what it means. So the Buddha is saying, so how? You learn, you learn to moderate the wanting. So that, If you can succeed in bringing the wanting down, you will succeed in bringing your sense of contentment and happiness up. That's how it goes. It's a seesaw. You cannot have one and the other. You have to let one go and then the other one will disappear. You want to have happiness? You must learn to moderate your wanting, your preferences, your desire. You can give it any name you like. Entirely your choice. And once you learn to grapple with it, once you learn to moderate it down, then you will begin to enjoy the moment, moment by moment. Instead of living in anticipation that the next moment is better. You guys see the difference? You can either enjoy what you have now, or you gamble, lo, gamble that tomorrow better. Lo. And you gamble and gamble, and then as I said, 70, 80, 90 years old, expiry date. Still gambling. That's not not wise, right? So the last, this is the first, second, and third noble truth. We're just going through three. The last one is essentially instruction manual. The one about the eightfold power is really the instruction manual. It's a DIY. Do it yourself out of dukkha. By Buddha. Ah, that's essentially, you want to publish a book, you should do it this way. And then chapter one, Samadhiti now we talk about the method to do it up until this point you are okay you're following right so now we can talk about that this is the this is all part of the essence of the teaching the next part we will talk about how earlier on we say what's the problem and then now we say how to solve the problem for those of you who want to go toilet can go now because the how is important how the first the first bit about the how, which is important, is you must agree that what the Buddha has said so far makes sense. Meaning to say, you in your heart of heart, you agree with him. If you crave too much, you surely will experience dissatisfaction if you learn not to crave so much and you succeed in not craving so much your sense of pleasure of life should rise your sense of contentment your sense of peace your sense of happiness should go up if you agree with this do you agree with this if you think it makes sense Buddha makes sense if you think it makes sense and you agree with this then what you have is you have achieved the first part of the eightfold path Samaditi, right understanding. If you agree with that premise and you think you will try to manage or moderate your wanting in this life, if you agree with that, then you have Samaditi. One out of eight, solid. Pick ready. <laughs> seriously if you disagree on this score if you say no la Buddha talk nonsense lah no I go like that if you say that then sorry wrong school <laughs> wrong school lah go somewhere else la. it's okay it's okay you have you don't have what is the prerequisite to the to the practice okay if you say I don't know either way I don't know I really don't know then you also don't have samadhi let's say you start off you say I'm a Buddhist I'm the Buddha's disciple. So I say, what's the first noble truth? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You got blind sada, man. Solid. Blind faith. <laughs> that's not the practice. Okay? So, all of you here, if you agree with the earlier premise, then you already got samadhi, can start already. And go home and start practicing. So, that's the first one. Now, presuming that since you are here, I am assuming and I believe I'm right in assuming that you must be wise. <laughs> Hello, I praise you. You don't have to be so shy. You just say, yeah, agree. Okay? Nobody think about it, right? This is Sunday. We don't work on Sunday. Where do you go? I wake up, go to class. That's wise, right? better than doing what sit in front of television throw popcorn in the mouth <laughs> grow fat grow dumb <laughs> right so sunday coming for dharma class i mean it's not me here it's just coming for a dharma class it's a wise thing so you have wisdom therefore number two you can do the first one says samaditi right understanding right start point okay the second one says now that you agree that the buddha makes sense now that you say, I will try to do a bit about my craving, then you will learn to let go. So the second part he asks you to do is, three parts. Let go. Usually the translation is renounce. Renounce to team like renouncing the throne. Not many of us got throne. So I will say, letting go of something, giving it up. In other words, okay, giving something up. So you're learning to control that craving. Craving means you want, you want, give it, put here, put here. The karma is you take, you take. <laughs> okay, so that's the first one. The second one, are we pardon? Are we him, sir? Are we non ill will? Are we himself? No cruelty. Why like that? Why so many things he doesn't talk about? He talks about letting go and no ill will and no cruelty. So important. Because he is teaching you to observe your mind and see for yourself that one thing one thing is the source of your anger. You craving, you don't get it, you sulk. You don't get it, you get angry. Your boyfriend last night didn't call you, you get upset. Why? Because you want to be loved. You want him to call you. Your children come back with this kind of grade, you damn said. 98 or 100, how come not 100? You want the 100 marks. You want it. You don't get it? You get upset. When you get upset, what do you do? You say the nicest thing. No, right? When you get upset, you will say things that A, you will regret. B, you will be ashamed of. C, you wish you never said it. All of the above, B. Right? So... So, the second part says, learn to let go, learn to control your craving, and when you control that craving, you will also not lose temper. And therefore, you will not be cruel. We are all, I'm using it without qualification, all of us here are capable of cruelty. Agree? When we are angry. For those of you who are capable of cruelty, when you're not angry, who are you? But then watch. (laughs) That was dangerous. The rest of us, national average, when we are upset, we can be cruel. We will see the nastiest thing. Because our anger boiling, the brain cannot boil. No longer functioning properly. It's normal. That's your primitive... Animal instinct coming forward. You know what the animals do when they get upset? They eat you. Sometimes they just kill you, don't eat. So that's normal, okay? Second thing. And then there is a whole series of learn to control your actions, speech and mind, thoughts. All this. is all about controlling the mind. Controlling your action, Learning to watch it so that you know how to stop it. So, words that come out of your mouth, he says, try. Don't lie. White lie also cannot. Lie for fun also cannot. Buddha style. Buddha very strict. Oh? But correct. You see, you are trying to get your mind to understand the world properly, right? As it is. Then occasionally, you take holiday. Tell white lie. Occasionally, you take another holiday. Tell life for fun. All these are all these are exceptions that you make to to your instincts. You're learning to control, to see the world as it is, so you tell the truth as it is. But then, occasionally, you create fiction. Once you create fiction, your mind is getting a bit confused. though. That's why telling lies is a problem. Don't do it. Okay. <clears throat> Don't tell lies. Don't use harsh words. Don't gossip, gossip, gossip and avoid frivolous talk then you say life's not worth living no trust me it's worth living <laughs> not tomorrow you must do that step by step today today don't tell lies tomorrow don't tell lies and don't uh, tell, say harsh speech then the following day don't tell lies don't use harsh speech and don't slander another gossip gossip slander slander and then finally throw in the the, the frivolous talk. By the fifth day, you are good. See? You're becoming so good at this. So that's how you go, huh? your work plan for the next five days. That's speech. Action. Don't kill. Don't steal. By the way, stealing, uh, you know that Pali word, right? It goes, adina, dana, right? The exact translation reads like this. Do not take I will not take what's not given. It doesn't say no stealing. It says, I will not take what is not given. For those of you who are chuckling quietly to yourself, you know exactly what it means. It means that you can't take office stationery home. (laughs) It also means that when you go park in a public car park, don't cheat government five minutes. What well, government give you five minutes? Ah? okay. Then no cheat fifteen. <laughs> why so strict? You will say, "What well, I take stapler, pin also cannot, cannot." What the office give you? Ah, part of your salary includes pencil, pen, paper. <laughs> no right. So why cannot you will say? It's actually training the mind. Essentially, you are training the mind to let go of craving, right? When you take the pencil and the pen, 你在攀小便宜, <laughs> I, I don't know the English translation. <laughs> you are up to petty, petty things, just petty, petty one thing. So this is. Pettiness, this petty wanting, let it go. You can't afford a pen or a pencil or paper. No, don't take it. Because by taking essentially your mind is saying, but nobody noticed it. Whatever's not given to you, don't take. So you walk on the street, you find fifty dollars, don't you touch? In Buddhism, there is no such thing as finest keeper. It's somebody else's thing. Okay? So that's adinadana. No killing, no stealing, uh, no taking things not given to you. No sexual misconduct. Okay? <coughs> then comes livelihood. Your livelihood. Basically, the Buddha is saying that in however you earn your salary, don't do it in the, on the back of somebody else's suffering. Somebody's blood, somebody's tears, somebody's pain, somebody's dukkha. Don't do that. So, therefore, he said, do not engage in the sales of flesh, poison, weapons of destruction, killing, uh, intoxicants, and so on. And human beings, of course, like creatures. But don't take it literally he didn't stop there you should look at it this way he's not saying that the following five occupations you cannot do everything else can he's not saying that he's saying do not engage in a profession that will bring pain tears suffering to another meaning to say you want to make money you don't care if someone suffers therefore the ones who are doctors you're fine because someone actually asked me, then Doctor Howard, we've got pain, I got tears, I've got blood. <laughs> My jaw dropped law. So this this is a surgical jaw. It's a new one. Now think about it. It the idea here, the philosophy please remember the philosophy here is do not benefit when someone else is suffering and you are taking money off that. Just, just enjoying it. That's all it means. If you are trying to heal someone and in the process he cried, like he got paid. It's okay. It's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. So this is the easy part, right? Up until here, one, two, three, four, five. Five parts, ready. Okay. Easy. Easy, right? Then comes the little bit more difficult part in my mind is actually without this by the way uh, the Buddha gave left behind an 8-fold path he didn't leave behind 7 or 9-fold path it's 8 therefore you cannot do a buffet cho- juice, ah. to this life I handle 7 next life I handle the 8 next life start all over again <laughs> if you're born a human. Eightfold means eightfold. So the last three, all must do. If you want to embark on the path. And what is that? And what are they? The first one says, I'm going to lump them together so they may not be in the traditional order. Essentially, what he wants you to do is this. He wants you to learn how To enhance your concentration power. Turn it up a few notches. Make yourself better able to concentrate, to focus and to concentrate. So to do that, you spend a lot of time just learning the breath, for instance. Focus the attention on one point, fix it there and keep it there you see our mind our mind is very active it moves around a lot you have to teach this mind to move when it moves you tell it to move it moves when you tell it to stop it stops it will stay still you will not allow the mind to become an ill disciplined 2 two-year-old. It will be the best disciplined two-year-old. You say, sit in a corner, fellow will sit until you finish your mahjong game. <laughs> that's what it means. You get the mind to sit still and quiet, and it's focused. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing you teach the mind to do is to track, to observe movement. That's mindfulness, okay? To observe change. Two things. Different types of practice. One is concentration practice, which is what we are doing this morning. Fix the mind on a breath, stay put. That's a two-year-old boy sitting in a corner. Note I use the word boy. Okay? Girl usually can sit for longer. Then, the second thing you do is to teach the mind to observe movement, which is mindfulness. If you have or you try to develop mindfulness practice, meaning to say learn how to track, but you didn't teach it to focus, what it means you track all over the place. Track, loss, track, loss, track, loss, track, loss, that's what it means. You can't focus, you can't see it. You can't see your mind. If you have just focused and you didn't teach it to track, then that's all you eat. That's all you sit in the corner. You will have built up a lot of energy sitting in the corner and that's about it. That's all. Energy and nowhere to go. So the Buddha's practice requires you to harness the power of concentration to observe change in body and mind. Looking within yourself Looking at how your thoughts change, looking at how your feelings change, looking at how physical phenomena change, and you are just observing change. Why are you doing that? Because the Buddha wants you to see for yourself what I started off talking about. Buddha observed that there are three facts about your mind, right? Right? Anicca, dukkha Anatta. I started off talking about this. I said, impermanent, sense of dissatisfaction, and no ghost driver driving it. Three things. And you would say, okay, conceptually I understand that. The practice, the methods, is to get your mind to a level where it sees these three facts for what they are. Then you will say, okay, see already then what? Ah then the next part. That's the next part of the talk. You will have to see these three phenomenal facts as they are. And the eightfold path, the whole thing, is to teach the mind to come down to a point where it sees these things, the three facts, and then Because you saw these three facts, these three phenomena of your mind, you will then learn two things. You will learn to let go properly, your craving will start to drop. If you don't see the world as impermanent, seeing it, experiencing it, if you don't see for yourself how the mind changes, moment to moment, it's very difficult to let go, law. It's very, very difficult to let go. Like, think, go is so difficult, it's dukkha in itself. But if you can see how that mind works, then you will develop a certain detachment, and then you can say, okay, so even if I am angry, the anger will go. Even if I am taking delight in getting what I want, that delight will dissipate. You learn to see a lot of things in perspective. So you don't go and hanker and hanker after something. But neither would you up. You will not up. I can guarantee you that. up is usually a, a case of walking away. You don't care. You do care. But you also know how to say it's all right. There's a limit. I know when to stop. You know how to do that, okay? So the first thing, sorry, uh, I know I'm I'm pushing the boundary a little, and then you are getting restless. Let me repeat: teaching the mind to focus, teaching the mind to track. Put the two together, you have a very powerful mind that will then start to observe the changes in your mind and your body. And as it observes those changes, it gets wiser. It learns to be a bit more detached. It learns to understand better how the mind works. It learns to let go of its own, on itself. The last thing (coughs) is, if your mind is so sharp, you can actually see the arising of thought. A thought. Meaning to say most time the mind is relatively empty. Then sometimes feelings come in, thoughts come in, they, they come up. You are so sharp, you spot them. When you spot them, you can see for yourself. Is it a good thought or a bad one? For instance, anger. You see anger arising, you, you jam it, you stop it. You Cut it, let it go. You see craving arising, you stop it, you let it go. You are learning how to jam it at the start point. Don't let it grow until this huge monster in your garden and then you don't know what to do. You cut it when it's a sapling. It's a small little thing. Let go. Okay? It's so big how to kacha? You have to take a fire and burn and slash. That's why they become all monsters in your mind. Okay? So that's the last part. You can do all these things. They are not meant for PhD holders only. <clears throat> Seven-year-old, Ananda could do it. Uh, rahula could do it. So, old or young, woman or man, all races, makes no difference. As long as you have a, a kind of a working brain, and you have the dedication and the, 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 the faith, It will work. They will work. They'll be working for 2,500 years. Why should it stop with you? You understand that? So this method, the whole method, what's the method for? The method is so that you learn to manage the stress and the dissatisfaction of your life. And if you learn to manage that, from the point you start to the point your life ends, your experience of life becomes richer more fruitful, more meaningful, better. You understand that? That's the incentive. That's why we are practicing the Dhamma. So that as you complete this journey in life, this journey is not one which is the same as the journey you have taken all these years. Would you describe that journey you have taken all these years as short, man, satisfactory? If you say that, then why are you here? You already got the answer. But if you say no i I'm not so not not so great lah. I mean okay lah. I mean okay law like that law. That like that law not satisfactory, right? Like that law is just not satisfactory. It has to be like that law. Then satisfactory. <laughs> so You have to go you have to then try and make the rest of your life a lot more satisfactory. And the way to do it is to learn how to watch that mind. Learn not to get overwhelmed by sensations externally, okay and when all this is said and done what, what will happen to you as a person I'm just going to end with this point if you practice the eightfold path correctly and I must stress, it's not difficult what it means is the way you see the world The way you look at the world will change. Instead of seeing the world as a zero-sum game, I win, you lose, you win, I must lose. Instead of seeing the world like this, instead of seeing the world as a whole pool of possibility go and grab, instead of seeing things like that, you will see it this way. You will develop empathy, meaning to say you're beginning to see things from people's perspective. You're growing wiser. You are learning not to take everything so seriously, including yourself. And it's okay. Life is just like that. You will take things as they come. And you will take them calmly okay you get a bit agitated sometimes but it's okay agitated a little bit not hysteria and you will enjoy moments by moment your sense of one thing will diminish it will diminish if you tell me i try you know i practice for six years already then my sense of one thing is still about the same maybe we should talk after this <laughs> We take it offline. Because something in the practice is a bit off. Law. <laughs> because the whole thing is about making you a happier person, right? That if your sense of one thing is the same, then you shouldn't be getting happier. Maybe no change from before, but shouldn't be happier, right? So something is wrong. If The more you see, the more you, you understand the way the mind works, the more you are less going to be bluffed by the mind. Bluffed by the world. And then, at the end of that, the last thing is your faith in the Buddha's teaching will then become unshakable. Why? Because you see for yourself that the Dhamma works. That you are, because you are happier, that you, that people are happier with you, around you, then you have a whole, a whole, a, a life which is more whole. Rather, they are full of holes. Okay? Questions?
1: I'm sure you all enjoy this one. Let's say Buddhist now. Sadhu, sadhu, three times. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, now we are open for question time. Sylvia, Sister Silver, had make you a very wise person. <laughs> And also, I think the morning talk is quite entertaining. So it's time for you to ask some more uh, any questions. Anybody got any burning questions that you want to ask? Uh, thank you for entertaining talk. <laughs> Okay, just a few questions, because when you are, let's say you are talking with your friends, right? So you are jog- joking around, then you are making fun of yourself, and at the same time making fun of your friends, right? So, I mean, this is just to create like a, you know, like an icebreaker to make everybody happy. But at the same time, accidentally, you actually insult somebody, which you don't know, but they feel some something. <laughs> is that a kind of like harsh word or anything? I mean, you are not supposed to do that. You know,
0: I, I, I can guess, I, I'm guessing what you're saying. Um, no, harsh words, every action, when a Buddha used words like harsh words or gossiping and so on, every single action is intended so. Meaning to say, when you use the word harsh word, parusa, watcher. What you mean is, I intend for you to get hurt by my words. Whether the way I deliver it's pleasant or unpleasant. you would be surprised. There are people who are very good at delivering harsh words pleasantly. <laughs> we call that sarcasm. <laughs> Think about it. So, it's the intent in your mind. You are angry, you want to hurt the other person with your words, you choose words intending to hurt, and the person got it. I mean, the fella blur sometimes. So, la. I say, Oh, are you brilliant? Huh? The fellow says, Yeah. <laughs> also got. <laughs> in which case, my harsh words went well. But, but, if you intend it to be, and the fellow got the message, and he's hurt, that was done. Okay. Harsh words. Okay. If you're joking, happily joking, yeah, we're all fat, huh? we're all so fat. ha <laughs> ha Then this person who is obviously obviously not fat, but is psychotic, he thinks he's fat. He looks in the mirror and he's fat, right? Then he's very upset. No how? Next time you cannot say anything about weight. <laughs> no weight comments. No hide comments. <laughs> <laughs> nothing left to say. Or? Yeah, it's true. Or? You have nothing left to say. Dhamma or Dhamma? <laughs> <can talk> <laughs> okay, not talk
1: Okay, one more question. Uh, because, uh, I mean, uh, just to make sure I get the thing correctly. Because, I mean, bad thoughts happen all the time. Right? And like you say before, it grows to a monster. cha Cut it short, right? So, uh, but if it happens, uh, okay, by practicing this, right? If the bad thoughts still happen most of the time, is that normal or is is, that, is it not meant to be like that? Okay.
0: um, I don't know about your standard. Lah. Yeah. Maybe your standard is very high. You know. So everything is potentially a bad thought. Normally, uh, normal, national average. I, it, it, okay, by the way, uh, if you know me very well, you realize that I always talk about national average. I usually don't say someone is selfish. I'll say he is national average. Why? Because we're all same, right? You don't tell me you're not selfish. You are, right? So are we. So am I. We all are. We think from the perspective of the self. Selfish means you think from the perspective of the self. How many of you would actually start pointing for someone else? It's not. It's not natural. What is natural is to think from this angle. I call it from number one. Right? Now, We are all national average. We are all capable of good and bad under certain conditions. Most times, because we are thinking from number one, if you have very strict standard, you will say, that's not nice. You're always thinking from number one. You'll be smacking yourself up here. And you will say that's bad thoughts. You're not being nice. You don't think for others first. You think from yourself first. And I will respond, if that is your definition of a bad thought, I will respond by saying that, No lah, this is normal thought. Everyone like that. The only way, if it's like this, uh, the only way you can stop this is if you get to a point where you really see the mind as it is and you really, really, doesn't. you no longer see yourself as separate from others. When that happens, nothing comes out is negative nothing comes out is about you if there is a thought that arises is a thought that arises it's not about you okay but your mind has to be very very sharp and you really have reached a point where you see yourself as just parts of a process this is intermediate course not for today
1: if your
0: definition of bad thought is that I think of killing and stealing and all kinds of creating hurt and harm, if that is your definition of a bad thought, then I would say not normal. Maybe not so normal anymore. (laughs) Because what it means is that you have a lot of anger contained within and you are constantly wanting to lash out at someone else or you lash in at yourself. That is also the reason why killing either way. Even killing yourself is considered killing. Because your anger is so overwhelming that you have to hit something. I advise by a punching bag. Because if not, you will end up hitting somebody. It's too overwhelming. You can try... And meditate and watch the mind and learn to control, it will take a lot of time. But it works, it will work. Hello. The national the, the okay, I asked you one question and you gave me the answer. Do you know who holds the record for murder? The all time history record for murder, do you know? Not Jack the Ripper, wrong answer. It's Angulimala, 999. You give him 10% discount, he's still got 900. (laughs) Right? He became an Arahant. My point is, even for one who was deranged, by the time he ended up wanting to kill his mother, he was deranged. For one who is deranged, who was a psychotic killer, you don't kill 999 and say that it's because my teacher made me do there has to be in you an instinct to kill, to begin with. Deranged, psychotic, and so on, and still able to penetrate the fog of his mind and become an arahan. If it works for him, how can it not work for you? Buddha doesn't sit next to Angulimala all the time, you know. Buddha got a lot of students. Angulimala is one of them. He didn't put him under special care. My point is, we all make a lot of excuses for ourselves in our life. We do. We say that this is 2,500 years later, got no more Buddha here. Wait for next one. Uh. Uh, or we say things like, no, I'm so old already, how can? Or, I'm still very young. It's okay. Or, uh, I'm not smart. I didn't go to school. If you go into the Buddhist history and you look at all the individuals who have made it to an awareness and understanding, you will look at yourself and say, <laughs> I tell you why. You have a 7 year I told you, right, a seven-year-old who got it. I had a, a deranged killer who got it. I had courtesans who got it. I even have people who couldn't study. He took one month, two months, three months, he couldn't understand one stanza. What you, what you recited this morning, he couldn't do that. And he got it. So you have all kinds of people, basically what it's saying in the record is that all kinds of individuals with all kinds of problems, they kind of understand enough to figure out the rest. Today you sit here, I know most of you, I'm looking at you guys, I think most of you understand the basics of what was discussed, right? You understand all these basic parts. The last part a bit more chim, it's okay. But the bulk of it, you understand. So what's stopping you? You will have no problem figuring out the rest. All you need, i tell you what what you need. All you need is this. You need to spend a little bit of time every day, sit quietly. You don't want to sit cross-legged, it's okay, Buddha doesn't mind sit quietly and breathe and watch that breath that's all you just have to do that how long 10 minutes can you sit on the bus also longer so you you just watch that breath 10 minutes 15 minutes it builds up tremendous focus power you become sharper and smarter in your daily life it's just not it's not just for dumber you will become sharper and smarter because your machinery got clean thing you clean it up not so clog up ready okay so that's one the second thing that you need to do spend a bit of time watch your body watch your mind you say watch what watch if you get angry watch the anger just observe it like you watch television watch the anger And then if you sit and then you develop pain, watch that pain. Observe how the pain comes and go. Why are you doing all these things? Because you're training the mind to see yourself as you are. A day will come when you realize suddenly for yourself what the Buddha was saying. Whether it's impermanent, whether it's dukkha, another comes later. But it it will dawn on you. When you get to the point you are on a home stretch, that's the part where you say, I I got the Dhamma already. I kind of get it. I kind of, it's kind of lah, uh, kind of get it. And you kind of, kind of drift along in the Dhamma path. That's the point. Get yourself to catch the Dhamma bus. Okay? I hope that answers your question.
1: Okay, uh... Okay, one last question. I think you are short of time already. Okay. Hi, Sister
0: Sylvia. Thank you very much for the talk. I learned a lot. Okay, um, my friends and I, um, we, have, we often have this, uh, this discussion. In many um, how-to-be-successful books, they teach the technique of visualization. Correct? So in visualization, you have to visualize what you want. So in order to be successful, you have to have to craving. So how do we reconcile um, with uh, um, um, Buddhism with what you have just thought about letting go? Okay. There is no. We're all laymen. manner huh? I must. I must prep. I must preface this by saying that we are lay people. If if this is a Sangha audience, my response will be different. This is a lay audience, meaning to say we have to have we must be able to provide for our fam- for ourselves and for our family, right? Accumulation of funds. We must have relationship. We must build ties. We must build assets and ties, right? In Buddhism, Buddha's advice to lay people, there is absolutely no problem with wanting to improve your life, wanting to expand your resources, increase it, wanting to form bonds, getting married, having children, and so on and so forth. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is the desire of a lay life. Then how do you apply parts of the Dhamma on your life. It will be this way. You will make your, you will make certain aspirations. I hope to be able to become a millionaire. Something like that. But you don't want to be so fixated about being a millionaire that everything else in your life fades into oblivion. It's a lopsided life. So in the pursuit of money, you no longer balance it with some spirituality or time with family and so on. So when I say to let go, I didn't say to let go of your dream to a layperson. It's not letting go of your dream. You can dream on. But In day-to-day, moment-to-moment, if you get too stressful, you must know for yourself, the stress has to come with your dream. And then if you say, I don't like this level of stress, I'm finding this not worth the trade-off, that's when you say, I think I'll moderate that. You bring it down. So you learn to adjust your expectations according to the level of stress or the level of pain you're prepared to accommodate. Some of us will say, no, I don't need all this frills. I consider them frills. What I want is just enjoy my life and be happy. So be it. That's your choice. Then you don't have to be fixated on the zeros. Some of us said, no, I think it's important to provide for my family and I want them to really live well. Okay, then you will pursue it, but be mindful that as you push, it's building up your stress. So the point where you say, this is too much, I will cut back. It's when you start to let go. You start to bring it down. But this, of course, is conditioned on you watching your mind very closely. Meaning to say you're already a practitioner, you're learning to watch your mind, you know when to say, too much, cut back. For some of us, we don't know when it's too much. Before you know it, it's the 911. Either to I-M-H or to S-G-H. (laughs) One of the H. (laughs) Okay. The dhamma is not the dhamma is not inconsistent with lay life. It's not. In the Buddha's lifetime there were many lay people who understood the dhamma and he was very pleased with them. He was very proud of them. Lay people like us who understood enough to be able to enjoy our moments in life while continuing to lead a lay life. It's not inconsistent. What it means is you will not look at your 1 million as a
1: 1 million,
0: but as just. knots, lo. As many knots. 1 million, a lot of knots, la. <laughs>
1: Okay. Uh, once again sadhu sadhu to uh sitas.